iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times. Now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast. And I have very good news for you. I'm back. With me today in the studio is Tony Cascarino and Ben Machel, who, who, of course, Ben, it's not your first time on this podcast. No, no, I'm, no. I'm delighted to be back. Thanks so much for having us. I know I told this before, but I still think it's it's a weird and creepy coincidence. With Rory K. Smith away, we've turned to Ben, who is not only the same size and shape as Rory, but also was actually in Rory's class in school up in the posh bit of Yorkshire, is that right? It's absolutely correct. There you go, fantastic. His accent's a bit different from Rory's, but um, but still interesting. But far more impressive than Ben and Cass, we have Ollie <laughs> Kay making his debut this season. Ollie, I love the fact that you waited for Rory not to be here to come on. I'm sure that's not a coincidence, but it's great to have you on board. Thank you very much, and you are correct in your perception. Doesn't Ben look like a young Fergal Sharkey? I'm not familiar with Fergal Sharkey. Who's Fergal Sharkey? The singer. The undertones. The undertones, yeah. The young... uh, no, no, the answer is no. <laughs> I don't like any music with very few exceptions after Jane's Addiction, so bear that in mind. Coming up, we'll be discussing a hectic weekend in the Premier League, uh, the Manchester Derby, uh, the departure of a certain manager. But of course, we're going to start at Old Trafford. Navas, Navas takes the shot. Now, would you believe it? That is the first shot on target in the entire game. Not even they thought it was going to go in. Oh, I'm going to start with you because there was a headline on your piece, and I'm going to repeat this for everybody who doesn't know. We writers do not write headlines. But it was still uh, telling because uh, it was described as a £600 million match that nobody wanted to win. Was it a case of both teams kind of settling for a draw, or was it fear of losing? Neither team looked desperate to win. There was never the sense that either of them were really, really going for it. I mean, you, you very rarely saw the fullbacks going forward on either side. You very rarely saw the, the two holding midfielders breaking forward. You know, both teams were attacking with with four men most of the time, apart from set pieces. So it was it was a fairly uh, conservative game. Obviously, Silver missing, Aguero missing uh, from the City side, and um, as, as Van Hal pointed out in the uh, interests of um, equality, he, he pointed out that, that United had Luke Shaw and Paddy McNair 
uh, <laughs> almost the same thing. But no, I, I think United were a better team marginally, but not, neither team did enough to win. Neither team looked like they were disappointed with the draw. Cass, I, I saw an interesting stat. It was something like through like 66 minutes. I mean, obviously we saw that United didn't even have a single shot in the first half. But they sort of boss possession through 66 minutes, which is when Mata went off. Mm. After that, they actually started creating some chances, but their possession statistics went way down. Mm. Is there any sort of broader message there in terms of people who trot out stats such like possession and shots on goal and stuff like that? Well, if you're prepared to make the killer pass, which is a high risk of losing possession... If you're prepared to get on the ball gap and you're looking to play an eye of a needle pass that's going to set a forward off, there's a high risk of you losing it. But there was very few passes even intended in the first 45 minutes. But see, here's the beauty to that. Who's the most likely United player to hit the killer pass? Mata. Exactly. And he's the guy who came off for midway for Fellaini, who's the guy most likely supposed to head uh, the, the, the killer pass. Ben, I, I, I looked at this and I don't really understand Louis van Gaal. It doesn't mean he's wrong because obviously he's, he's won a few more trophies than I have as a manager, but it just everything just seems so weirdly counterintuitive. Can no, you make sense of it? Uh, not really, but I do know exactly what you mean. You sometimes look at his team selections and it's, it's, it's never obvious. It's never the simple thing. I mean, I think we talked about this a little bit last season. Sometimes it kind of just, again, it's the sort of daily blind cropping up all over the place and th- players not necessarily playing the same position t- two, three times in a row yeah it is hard to work out but then as you say you think well you're LVG so I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt but you still need to see it sometimes Oli so we, we had Rooney lining up at centre forward uh, Martial starting out wide I, personally I didn't necessarily have a problem with that the thing that seemed a bit weird for me and is problematic is that when you play Herrera Mata Rooney and, um, and Martial together you really only have one guy with legs and or, or or with pace, I should say, which if you're going to play possession and you kind of go slow, 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 fast, is a bit of an issue. Why wasn't Depay or Memphis Depay? Why wasn't he playing? There's all sorts of rumors surrounding him. Yeah, um, I, I don't know about the rumors. I I, I do know that um, Depay and and Martial. I mean, their their signature moves almost are are fairly identical, aren't they? It's cutting in from the left hand side onto the right foot on that that, that diagonal run and. Um, I suspect that ultimately it might be hard to to play two of them in the same team, or at least to get the most out of two of them in the same team, unless Martial is to be um, regarded as an out-and-out centre-forward. Rooney, I mean, obviously there's this huge debate over over Rooney at the moment, and Van Gaal got uh, frustrated by the question asked by uh, Mr Matt Dickinson of this parish, but um, I mean... Every question about Rooney is is valid at the moment. It, it's it's mm-hmm. certainly it's been valid for a long time to ask whether he's past his best. So I, I think I think he undoubtedly is past his best. But he, he's still a good player. It's just that there's United don't seem to be getting the best out of him. He doesn't seem to be getting the best out of United, and he seems it seems to be very difficult to play that centre forward role in this mm-hmm. static pedestrian Manchester United team. So maybe if you are going to have one man sort of isolated as a number nine. Maybe it has to be the one with with, with pace, which is Martial. Mm. So then, where do you put Rooney? Do you put Rooney behind and stick Mata on the wing? Well, given that he's been playing Mata on the wing anyway, I, I don't think you lose much by by, by playing Rooney. Um, so then you've Rooney got in a deeper role. But, but then, don't but, you have two kind of really really sluggish wingers? 
No, 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 really wouldn't be on the wing. We really would oh, be sorry. in the in the number ten role. I, I, I would think. So where, where does Herrera go? Well, does, does Herrera start every week? I mean, does, does Rooney does Rooney need to start every week? Ah, that's see, that's thing. what I'm getting at. You, you, but but, but you, it shouldn't be the situation where you know Rooney is either disgraceful and dropped, or 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 he's undroppable. It should be a situation where you know they're playing two games a week. It's, it doesn't make sense to to play Rooney every time. He, mm. He's clearly feeling the strain physically, apart from anything else. I don't understand why you would play him every week. Mm. And um, Capital One Cup game would seem the, exa- the ideal time to, to rest him, but also to look at other options. Well, other mm. options, Cass. I mean, if you're Capital One Cup, obviously nobody cares, but mm. I was looking at this, and you mentioned other options, and I wonder if to some degree you aren't also slightly painted in a corner, because obviously Yanazai is gone. When you're talking about people who can play up front, and we're not going to go back to the Fellaini up front freak show. Mm. And obviously, Memphis up front didn't quite work out. You're still kind of talking about Martial and Rooney and, and Wilson. And I just look at the options and I see Lingard coming on. I'm wondering, was it so clever to kind of give Yanazai short shrift? Could they have maybe um. used him as a slight change of pace guy? Because remember, they have also haven't had much in the way of injuries with their attacking players thus far. But no. you would imagine over the course of the season... That'll come as well. Well, there's, there's been some strange going on at United. You think that Yanazai, like Ashley Young, was playing probably the best football he had last season and suddenly <laughs> has become a literally non event at United. You know, well, you might look at me like that, Gab, but he played yeah, a hell no, of a no, lot. No, last no, year. I agree. I agree. You know, he, play, he, he played a hell of a lot. I mean, I just want to say one thing on Rooney that really puzzled me before the game. I'd sit there and I'm thinking, Vincent Company's up against Wayne Rooney. And I'll ask you a question, right? You just say yes or no. Would Wayne Rooney outrun Vincent Company over a longer stretch? No. I, I'd probably say no. Right? Yeah. Okay. So we would go there. Would he outmuscle him physically? <laughs> no, I don't think so. Would he outjump him in the air? Probably not. No. So all these things, you've got a centre forward up against someone who really could probably win in most departments against Rooney. And that was, for me, the, the, the telling thing, that Wayne doesn't do that now. There isn't anything you can go slightly, well, Wayne's going to outrun him. At least you play Martial down the middle. You'd know that Martial could win a foot race over 10, 20 yards against So you would, dump, you would dump Rooney as well? Yeah, I, I think yeah. Rooney's planned. If it wasn't for being Wayne Rooney, and he's got lots of, obviously, people... Right. He's, a, he's achieved a lot in the game to, to be still in the side because of what he's done over well, season to season. But this year, I think there's a load of evidence, Gab, that his form and his performance are well down. But it's funny because one of the things that everybody has said this weekend is, oh, isn't it a surprise that Wayne Rooney's 30? What a surprise. It's not yeah. a surprise that people age. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. What, what, what I'm interested to know, you're talking about options. What other options, you know, a year ago? When pe- people, people know that this is going to happen, that players get older and they're going to have to change the way they play. I'm just trying to think, are there examples that we can point to of really top, top class players sort of managing their decline, adding stuff to their repertoire? People seem to have been taken aback by suddenly Rooney's not quite as good as what he was in that form. But actually, no, I would would totally argue, I mean, that there are really good examples of forwards who reinvented themselves, you know, getting older. So why is it... Why is Rooney surprised? I I, I think there's two things with Rooney, personally. One is that you know, he just turned thirty, mm. so He's I don't know that old. he necessarily has been think was thinking about the reinvention. I remember a quote which I think maybe he gave to you, Ollie, or you once talked about, or maybe I'm making this up, whereby he talked about how he could move into midfield when his legs go, uh, which seemed like kind of a weird thing to say. But 
what's interesting with Rooney is that there's a lot of miles on the clock. Somebody uh, tweeted an analogy between Rooney and, and Shevchenko, and Shevchenko's decline after turn 30, and they pointed out that Rooney's played something like 100 games more than Shevchenko, who also was a young prodigy, mm. uh, already. That's what's, that's what's curious. What's curious, and maybe here you, you, really, you really see the, the, the problem with the instability that they had, the lack of direction going, you know, Moyes, Van Hal, the, the managerial turnover, and I think the lack of a director of football stroke, football man at the top of the club is you give this guy this enormous contract and you don't necessarily have a plan for how you're going to use him or you're going to manage his, his reinvention as he gets older. Ollie? No, I, I, I don't think there's been much plan at Manchester United for the past couple of years. I, I, the, the signing of that, that huge contract, which um, I think United felt they had no choice in terms of the, um, the pressure that they were under at that time, the signing of that huge contract came a few weeks after they signed one matter for however much it was. Well, for 32 million. Like that. It was already hard to work out what United's forward line options were going to be at that time. Then they signed Matter and Rooney. And you think, well, if Rooney's not going to have the strength to, to be a number nine over the years to come, and if he's going to be playing slightly deeper... As a as a number ten, perhaps that would be the role that would put less pressure on his legs, rather than the uh, rather than the idea of re- reinventing himself as a box to box midfielder as he gets older, which is, as he said, rather stupid. To, to do those things at the same time, to, to, to sign Matter and re-sign Rooney at the same time at such huge expense, both deals, I thought was very strange. And you've currently got neither of them really playing that, that, that number nine role, so that, that, that number ten role. I just think there's there's, there's no joined up thinking. That Manchester United. There hasn't been for a long time, and it's to some extent impressive that results have been as steady and consistent as they have been over the last twelve months. Because I don't think performances have been very good at all. I, I just I'm not impressed by the direction United are taking, and, and the, the, the sort of decline of, of Rooney seems to be a symptom of that rather than the cause of that. But um, but the results are still okay, aren't they? I I don't want to be like the guy who keeps blames everything on Ed Woodward. But surely at that time, when the Mata and the Rooney deal were made, you had David Moyes six months in, but obviously it was his first season. You didn't know how it was going to work out. Is this where maybe the lack of a football guy kind of, or, or somebody who's even ever even managed or bought and sold footballers or whatever, is this where they paid a price for it, Ollie? I mean, is this maybe where maybe Woodward could have picked up the phone? Maybe he did and rung up Sir Alex, who I believe still gets a salary from United, mm. or certainly did at the time, and said, Alec, can you please help me here? A, a, a lot of what Woodward has done and, and has been praised for has been sort of headline-grabbing deals of, of one type or the other, whether it's the Rooney contract or whether it's the Matter deal or the Di Marie or... Di Maria deal and or the Falcao deal. I mean, I, I look at those deals, the, the four of them, you know, next to each other, and think, well, what is the plan there? I mean, it, an awful lot of what Ed Woodward seems to have been keen to do is about making statements uh, on behalf of Manchester United and himself, rather than doing anything particularly wonderfully clever and strategic uh, that's going to help Manchester United on the pitch. And um, I would have thought that a manager such as Van Gaal would have been exasperated by now by the sort of lack of direction over three transfer windows. But 
for some reason he doesn't seem to be because he seems to be uh, relatively content at the moment. In Woodward's defence, you could also point out it's always kind of hard to do something strategic and long-term planning when you've got a manager who's older already and who says like, well, I think after next season, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll want to go and this will you know, this will be my last job or whatever, my wife, blah, 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 which, you know, you can understand from Van Hal's point of view, but to me that makes it all the more serious. Yeah. You should have a director of football, somebody who can guide you medium term forward, you know, because your next manager might be nothing like Louis van Gaal. The United style doesn't help Rooney as well, which is part of the problem. But if you look at, say, 30 in the age, well, I think he signed, I'm pretty sure Sir Alex signed Van Persie at 29, he signed Berbatov at 29, signed Sheringham at 31, um, taking them to Old Trafford, but they had a style and a group within that that would complement them. And I don't think that's the case today. I think it's slightly different. Rooney's playing in a team that is nowhere near as adventurous. I want a word on on City. I got the impression that, you know, while we love Manuel Pellegrini when he was all attacking, I think they kind of sniffed out early on and said, all right, look, there's no Aguero, there's no David Silva. You could tell in the first few minutes that Kevin De Bruyne was having a bad bad, uh, day. Uh, Yaya Torre had Schneiderlin in in his pants and couldn't go anywhere. Um, that's a euphemism, by the way. It's not. It's not literal. And he said, "You know what? Hey, if they want to keep passing the ball sideways and engage in all this aiming, aimless possession, that's fine. We'll take a draw. We'll still be joint top with Arsenal, and then we'll just whoop Arsenal and win our title later. Is that pretty much the right thing?" I think that's exactly the right thing. What you were saying before, and I was, I was going to ask it, is the, this Jones and Smalling thing, because we've been talking so much about Man U up front. I, I'm trying to work out for myself how good they've become because for a long time I would look at those two at the back and think part of me would just be like this little bit of a kind of little bit of an own brand sort of Vidic and Ferdinand sort of thing going on but they seem to from what I've seen and it probably helps that they've got Schneidlin and Schweinsteig in front of them and everything but they seem to be doing alright I don't know if anyone else agrees with that or if we've got a sense of where they're going to go Ollie? Totally agree. Um, I, I think Smalling has, has really matured over the last, um, I mean, people say this season. I, I, I had the feeling the penny was dropping with him about halfway through last season. And, and I don't think you would look at many players at Manchester United over the past two years post-Ferguson or even the past 12 months under Van Hal who have really improved. But Smalling is certainly one of them. And he, he does look now like a, a really good Aggressive defender, whereas previously, look, you know, he just seemed to be ambling, and it's it's like something has you know something has changed in his mind, his mindset, and that's impressive. I think Jones had one of his better games yesterday. I mean, he looked uh, solid and, and dependable. Sometimes his distribution wasn't great, but it's um, it's still one of the weaknesses in their squad that, that they don't have that outstanding central defender they certainly don't have a an established central defensive partnership but then you, you look at Smalling and Jones and think well if they are going to play every week maybe they can build that understanding and maybe they, maybe they can help each other Terry's clearance is up rather than away Noble and now Creswell and there's Carroll what a story Andy Carroll's first goal since long term injury Maybe enough to beat the champions. So Chelsea lose again. Mourinho gets very angry. West Ham are third in the table. I know you, you all gave him a lot of love last week in my in my absence. Ali, I, I look at this and if you break down the incidents, did Chelsea play that badly given that? All right, let's face it. The, the disallowed goal, goal line technology, I'm going to say this. That's some voodoo 
stuff going on there. It's almost like, ooh, we have so much faith in the machines because the camera says so and the little diagram comes up. But if I'm Mourinho, I kind of say, you know what? Yeah, I think the ball was in. And I don't think he's crazy for saying that. You know, the cameras have a margin of error as well. When I saw that little, like, diagram, for a guy like Mourinho who's already kind of prone to conspiracies, you know, I, I, I can see how he'd be annoyed. Then you have the Sesk call, which is disallowed goal, which could have gone either way. And then you have poor Matic getting sent off. Chelsea deserved something from the game, did they? I thought it was one of their better performances this season. I mean, you, you look at some of the few games they've, they've won and, and they've not necessarily played as well as they did um, on Saturday. It wasn't, it wasn't a bad performance. They happened to be playing against a, a good team, playing well, fired up and so on, and, and organised. And as you say, they didn't get the rubber of the green over some of those instances. I don't think we could put Bruno Matic one into that category. I mean, the Matic sending off was too clear... Uh, book of offences. I thought that the Fabregas, you know, it's tossing a coin, and you would, you know, the, the, there is still this sort of unwritten understanding that the, the um, benefit of the doubt in those situations should should go with the attacking team. The, the goal line technology one, well, it did look correct. I mean, it's, it's infuriating when it's that close, but it, it did look correct. I can understand Mourinho thinking that the world's against him, but when it's a guy who thinks the world is against him anyway, uh, even when his players are getting away with stamps rather than being punished with stamps or when they're, when they're getting decisions in their favour rather than decisions against them. And I, I've limited time for Mourinho's, well, no time for Mourinho's conspiracy theories and so on because, you know, I mean, he, he's, he's the boy who cried wolf, isn't he? I mean, well, it, it, it's not a conspiracy, it, 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 it's a campaign, remember? They were unlucky. They were unlucky on Saturday. That's not to say West Ham were lucky to win. It's just to say that Chelsea were, were unlucky. Teams who were doing everything right tend to be luckier, don't they? One thing that was just funny, just reading a lot of the match reports from that game, they, they all, or many of them, opened with the observation that you know Mourinho was facing renewed sanctions, which is like something you read about Assad. Do you know what I mean? It's just e- e- even the language. <laughs> North Korea. Yeah, exactly. E- e- even the language. You know, he'll read that and think, you know, sanctions, and it just it, it, it just plays to this whole narrative of, as you say, there's a campaign against it. For me, I thought what he said after Southampton game was really serious, and I think he should have gotten a ban. Instead, he gets a suspended ban, right? It seems to me like he kind of is like a softly one. And then he came out with this whole thing about, no, but, you know, they did with the appeal. And, you know, I, I even read somewhere that the guy pointed out that English is his third language. Okay, guys, take it from somebody who speaks more than one language. Nobody has a third language. You have your first language, and then everything else is a second language, right? Leaving aside the fact that, you know, Mourinho was an English translator for <laughs> Bobby Robson, 17 years ago that or even more than that like you're really going to come out and say well but he didn't know what he was saying come on now i mean i, I you you feel for him I, I agree i thought they did play a better game but mm. we got to stay on Mourinho just for a minute because so many papers are coming out and saying that he has basically one week to save his job and if they lose against liverpool he's out now my understanding and I could be talking to the wrong people who like to lie to me, uh, say that, that that's not the case, that they're going to make a decision based on performances and blah, blah, blah. And they're not going to be, you know, if they play brilliantly against uh, Liverpool, but then, you know, lose because the ball bounces off Klopp's backside into the back of the net, then it's not like they're going to sack him. But Cass, should they really be thinking in terms of, of sacking him now? Uh, shouldn't they at least just wait to... Dis- I mean, how much worse can the situation possibly get? It's not like they're going to go into the relegation zone, right? Well, there has to be huge concerns because there's been too many incidents this year and it's become all about Mourinho this season. 
when they win, it's usually about Mourinho. Yeah, when they yeah, lose, well, it's about yeah, Mourinho. It, it, it's, when is it not about Mourinho? Well, it's becoming an issue where I've always been a fantastic admirer of him. I've loved what's, what his teams have done and the way he's played at times. I just think that he is a very... I think there's a lot of managers that clone themselves on the way Mourinho approached the game in the modern era. And I think he's the one responsible for it. But there's a time now it feels like we're embarrassed for Mourinho. I feel, I feel embarrassed for some of the stuff that he's he's coming out with and the way his team and I'm expecting answers from a guy that has changed football. He did. He said, in in my opinion, and I don't know. I'm just confused by him. Now I looked at Saturday, and you're right. All what you said, they they played okay. They could have won that game. They're fine decisions. Zuma ain't a right back. There's no way that Zuma is a right back. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. And I don't see how Mourinho can see that, that he thinks that he can do a, a reasonable job. He's changed his back four on, on so many occasions and obviously leaving people out, having changed, then buys a £20 million fullback and said he's not ready, you know, in Ram. Yeah, okay, we we, yeah. we got to be fair, fair. We got to be fair in this, Baba Rahman. I mean, we can't mm. go and... To what degree it was Mourinho who said, ooh, I really want Baba Rahman because he's, he's mm. going to... I'm going to build my team around. And to what degree the club said, we think he's the right signing. You know, we got to be fair on this. To, yeah, but Mourinho. okay. Well, so let's just, just have but, it no, forward. Well, I'll, go, I'll give you a better example, if you like. There's a guy who started at left-back who's a homegrown Chelsea product for Watford and who mm. did very well and who's done very well every time, the few times he's played for Chelsea. That's Nathan Ake. Yeah. He's been with Mourinho for two years and the guy goes on loan to Watford and kind of immediately establishes himself. Mm. I don't understand why you need to do that. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Is, is Bertrand actually played for? He's played for England. He's been capped, hasn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's been capped and he's, yeah. played and for, he's been injured for And who started a Champions League final as yeah. well and who's also uh, a former Chelsea guy. I don't quite get this why this constant need to move and do business and mm. stuff when you do have other options mm. and, and then you wouldn't have to play Zuma right back no yeah I agree with you there and and that goes you know like Rafa was accused of not playing John Terry and he was ridiculed that that was a uh, you know that something that's haunted him as his judgment as a manager now Mourinho's had a few like you've just mentioned and you can add others into that where De Bruyne has gone off to Wolfsburg and been sold for 50 million coming back <laughs> You know, there are players out there now that people are going, really? Jose had him and he didn't use him. But I think, yeah, that's that's totally true. And every manager, you know, he's successful ones, there'll be examples you can point to where you thought, oh, you know. Well, the keeper, Ben, is now looking to be, it's coming, it feels like it's haunting him, isn't it, Czech? You know, where Czech is doing so well is, well, well. He is Gab. You're looking at that. He has yeah, I know, but it's, they said Czech away well. because they have Courtois and then Courtois gets hurt. Yeah. You can't blame everything on Mourinho. It's not like Mourinho no, went and not, injured Courtois. But as much as you can give credit for him for so many good decisions, when things but are you going can't the other blame way... Mourinho, I'm sure, wanted to keep Czech. It's not like Mourinho said, I, I don't want Czech as my backup keeper. I mean, it was a club decision. Isn't, were, isn't you can't blame of, everything on him. You know? Isn't part of the problem just that when you go to such lengths to create a cult of personality like Mourinho has done, that's fine. But then if the players start to not like that personality... Then you can, you know, transfer dealings are almost sort of secondary to that. If 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 uh, people start to not like 
what you're selling, then what can you do? I think you nailed it. And I think also the fact that he doesn't come out and speak to the media afterwards. I, I don't want to give West Ham short shrift. I know no. y'all talked him to death last week, but they're third <laughs> in the table. Ollie, can you tell me what specifically Billich has done? It's hard, isn't it? I mean, they, they, they've bought well over summer, Lanzini and, and Payet and, and so on. I mean, but but I, I would say that he was he was building on good foundations left by Allardyce and, he, and he's built on it on it well and, and creatively and if you look at the games they've lost I mean it's been Bournemouth at, at home and I think they, was it draw, they drew or lost to, to Norwich at home I mean <laughs> they, those are silly points that, that they've dropped and, and they've picked up so many impressive wins uh, not just mm. against the uh, big teams but, but obviously they're, they're the ones that they've got most um, praise and credit for and they just look like a, a really decent team, and to be honest, they looked like a really decent team this time last year. But they look like a better team now because they've they've they bought well again. They're playing nice football, clever football, and um, they seem to have be working out ways to win matches, um, you know, different kinds of matches. And, and I, it's it's not really been the West Ham way, and it's said under Allardyce as well. It, it's not really been the West Ham way to to win games of that nature uh, when the big boys come down or particularly going away to the big boys so something mentally has changed with them I'll tell you what it's interesting Ollie that if you take the last week uh, they've played well they played well on Saturdays mm. again uh, with the fact that he was even prepared to get Andy Carroll off the bench create the winner for Palace away then gets the winner against Chelsea five points in a week from a guy that he knows he can use as a weapon in Andy Carroll mm. he was, he's clever enough to go do you know what if we're getting outplayed slightly or this isn't quite working, we can just go and get someone on who might scare the life out of the back four. And they did. And I think that's what I've liked about Billage. What, what, what's impressed me is, Ben, is that you look at this, there's a number of guys in the team are thinking of, of, of Zarate, who I thought played very well. Mm. Payet, perfect example. Carroll to some degree. Guys who are very talented, but maybe even in his own way, Tompkins at, at, at the back was a guy I kind of have a weak spot for. But who are good players, but who've had issues and have come with some level of, of, of baggage. And so far, he's managed to, to keep a lid on it, and he's kept everybody going in the same direction. And I wonder if maybe there isn't a big sort of man-management element to Billich thus far. Absolutely. I mean, I, again, having not met the man, but certainly seen him, he, he's likeable. How can you not? I mean, perhaps you're the... the some people have reasons but you know he, he, there's, there's an enthusiasm for football and, and, and it's one of these things Cass you probably know better than, than, than me but if there's someone who gives this impression of enjoying being there and enjoying football then ha- that, that's going to you know boost mm. to 10-15% isn't it? Alright final question I'm going to throw this all out to you since you guys are all much more into music than I am Jurgen Klopp says he's heavy metal Slavin Bilic we know is if not heavy metal, at least hard rock, because he's actually played in a legit band and stuff like that, unlike Klopp. Who's more rock and roll, Klopp or Billich? Cass? Klopp. Ollie? No, Billich is more rock and roll. Billich. Billich. Easily Billich. Come on, man. He's got the earrings and the fags. Come on, man. Seriously. Come on. (laughs) Germany's contribution, other than than Rammstein, obviously. Scorpions. Scorpions. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. There's kind of like a a toolish effect there, yet doesn't apply to hardcore Croatian rock. Right, moving on to our uh, debate this week. Uh, Our friend Tim Sherwood has been uh, relieved of duty at Aston Villa. Uh, maybe just a coincidence, but if you notice that the uh, uh, 
Uh, I'm going to throw this out there. Say to Ben, see how sharp he is. Because Rory would get this. Three clubs have changed their manager this season. What do they all have in common? All right, he's not good. Okay, Cass. <laughs> Directors of football or something. Nah, Ollie, you know this. Uh, well, you went to a fancy university. In these two. All, all, um, all British managers. Yes, and they're all owned by. Americans. By Americans, that's right. And in fact, to further muddy the waters, in the case of Villa, you know, Remy Gard is being linked to the to the job, ex-Arsenal. Tom Fox runs the club, ex-Arsenal. This Hendrik Olmstadt guy, ex-Arsenal. Now, you have links to Aston Villa, Cass. Is this a plan by Kroenke to go and destroy Villa by sending his his little interlopers in there to destroy the club once and for all? Cool, that is a conspiracy. Well, think about it. Would you want all these... You know, people complained about the Cockney Mafia at Newcastle, but here it just seems to be former gooners. They're, well, there's something very... Is Gilles Grimandi on his way as well? <laughs> hey, well, well, what Ian Wright was in here a few minutes ago. Maybe he's... There's something he's, very strange going on at Villa um, from the very top, that's for sure. What's uh, strange? I mean, you well, talk about, so is there a club dysfunction, or is it the case that Tim well, Sherwood uh, couldn't get things to work out? Well, uh, you... It, it hasn't worked out, but I do think the club's in a dysfunctional way, whereas the owner of the football club has very little interest, doesn't even have any much dialogue with his with his manager, which Tim Sherwood alluded to last week. Where How, how much dialogue uh, does, 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 does Kroenke have with Wenger yeah. or does, or the, Gab, the, the, does love, Glazer have with uh, Van Gal? Gab, if you love something a lot and you want to put a lot into it, you have dialogue. If your football club is not working right and that vi- villa is not, you make sure you're in contact. Did he hired Tom Fox. You can't go that up. Will you tell me that Roman doesn't have much to do with Chelsea? No, I, I'm just, some Come people. On. No, of course, but there are. It'd be really hands up. Okay, but there's also some owners who are basically. I mean, yeah, in okay. other but I, they still. I, sorry, how much dialogue does Katarina Liebherr have? With, with Ronald Koeman. You think they Skype each other late at night? No, but I think... Oh, come uh, on. But the, club, but the club's going well. <laughs> but the club's going well. It doesn't feel like... if you, Things are going wrong. You, as an owner, you'd want to be knowing exactly what problems that could be solved about moving the club forward and getting the type of results. But he addressed it. But he brought in, he brought in Tom Fox and they went to this model with Henrik Armstrong. I mean, and, and th- th- this is one of the issues, isn't it, Ben, that... Part of the narrative, as is outlined by a bunch of former pros um, over the weekend that I saw on television, was poor Tim Sherwood. He had the evil director of football there, this Hendrik Amstadt, who sounds doubly foreign. And he went and he bought a lot of guys that that Tim didn't want. And Tim wanted to go and sign out of Bayor and Aaron Lennon and Andros Townsend and guys like that. Maybe Nabil Bentaleb as well. But... Instead, they he got they got stuck with all these with all these French no names. Yeah, no, I sympathise with that. But plus Mika Richards and Julian Lescott. But hey, that's so fine. That's by the by. Yeah, and and there was is that the narrative? Is that the problem? No, no, no. The problem is much bigger than that. And, and speaking the opposite of of, of, of Cassis and new, total neutral who doesn't really care about Aston Villa one way or another. You look at it, and at first you're bored, and then after a while you stop being bored and you start to get angry because. Over the past however many seasons, six, hmm. seven seasons, you just think, what, what are Aston Villa about? Like, if I, I probably wouldn't notice if they were not in the Premier League for the past few seasons because they just don't. I mean, obviously, there's FA Cup final last season, whatever. But you, you just think, what, where are they going? What's the, what's the big idea? Like, like what you look at an Aston Villa team sheet and you think, mm, okay, yes, yeah, so no, no, them. It's but, funny because you know. I'm thinking of Radiohead and that song Creep. You know, I want you to notice when I'm not around. Yeah. You would notice, right? No, no, that, I, that's I, what I, I, it's like you, you said those, you didn't like music. 
Radiohead's not really music, though, is it? What is it? It's kind of not like, football. No, it's not football. But I mean, there, there are certain basic. I, I don't. I don't live in a shoebox. There are certain artists in the last twenty-five years <laughs> that I'm familiar with. Radiohead is one of them. But you saw. I think it was in the paper this morning, yesterday. And they were talking about the replacements for Sherwood, and they only said, you know, we just want to stress, no plans have been made. And you saw. I think, duh. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, no plans have been made. That kind of. You think if there's a manager who's lost, but that's five blatantly games, not true, Ben. The, that they are, well, they have got replacement, and it all happened quite quickly. And it's going to be Remy Gard. So we're led to believe, but right. I believe that it will be very quick. Ollie, I want to get your take on this because I, I didn't know when Henrik Amstadt looked over. So, but according to Villa's press release, he took over. I think on July fifteenth, presuming that they did some transfer business before he arrived. You can't blame everything on this and the transfers. I mean, I look at this. And it does seem to be this very simple narrative, right? So they, they, they have those evil analytics nerds. They have the evil director of football type. They have an American uh, chief executive who, who used to run NBA Asia. And they go for a manager who I think, or they keep a manager in the summer who is actually, I, I mean, I think is a really bright guy, but is, is also slightly more traditional type who's, who prefers doing things a different way. Is, is this the, the, the basis of the dysfunction here? I would say the problem is staleness. That they've been stale for such a long time. I don't have a great problem with with the. Well, I don't have any problem at all with the, with the director of football model when it's done well and when there's when there's joined up thinking and and when the manager is, is on board with the um, with, with the with the players that are being brought in. And it just seemed that you know that over the space of a, of a fortnight they, they seem to, to buy uh, a lot of players from um, from from France you know gay and RV IU there to you know I, I don't think anybody would deny that there is better value better value in terms of transfer fees better value in terms of wages buying from France than, than buying from England you, you would look at Villa and you would say that is a team that lacks proven Premier League quality um, experience obviously they bought Lascar they, they, they bought Richards I can understand Sherwood looking at it and thinking, well, an Aaron Lennon would would be a good idea, you know, whether it was on on loan or permanent or whatever. I can even understand him thinking Adebayor would be a good idea. Instead, he's got you know Gestead and and all these players who are finding their feet in England. Young players who are finding their feet. So, wasn't hasn't Gestead been in England for several years now? Mm. Yeah, but he's not been in the Premier League, has he? Yeah, but it's, it's not like they play a different look, sport in the Championship. Uh, do, do, I mean, look, Watford get promoted. They don't have any. I mean, I, they don't have that many guys with Premier League experience. I think Cathcart is one of the few, and I think he might have played twice for mm. United, right? They're doing fine. He, he was the one out of out of those sort of late summer signings that, that had played in in, in England. Uh, oh no, Lescott came later as well. Um, and Richards too. But Richards was early. Richards Richards predated the uh, right the no, age no. Of football. Um, so I think anybody would look at, at Villa's team sheet and think, what are they trying to do? It's fine to buy foreign. It's it's, it's clever to buy foreign as long as you're buying a certain quality of player. And the sad thing from Villa's point of view is that clubs like Swansea, clubs like Southampton are buying a better quality of, of player. They're spending more on players uh, at times. And it's not to say all of Villa's players are bad. I, I, I quite like the, the look of Amavi, the, the left-back, who um, Sherwood evidently doesn't fancy at all. But this summer's intake at Villa just doesn't look good enough. And it has to, you know, it had to be really good after these years of complete underinvestment. With the TV money coming, they had an opportunity and, and a necessity to to spend big 
and, and spend cleverly. And, and I, I don't feel like they've, they've done that, really. Right. How about some quick hits? Steve McLaren is extremely angry. Penalty denied at one end. Catamol and Vinaldum. Penalty and red card. Colacini on Fletcher at the other. Cass, is he right? Did those decisions cost them the game? Uh, well, Gab, I mean, the game was so comfortable for Newcastle. Yes, it was nil-nil, but they looked like the only team looked like scoring. The penalty happens. Colacini's decision, I just thought, was crazy. Taking a player out, and yeah, the referee might have said, no, it's a shoulder barge. But it's ended up costing Newcastle losing the game 3-0 penalty and sending off. And from that moment, they didn't have a chance. So McLaren's right, this defeat doesn't really count. Mm. Big Sam has made it six in a row for Sunderland managers in the Tyneware Derby. Uh, it didn't really help the guys before him, Di Canio, Poyet, and Advocat keep their jobs. But all of that is just coincidence and happenstance. Right, Ollie? I would say that with Allardyce, they've got a guy who is not only going to do what um, Poyet and, and Di Canio particularly did in, in terms of energising. Um, a, a fairly disillusioned team, or deeply disillusioned team, a deeply disillusioned club, but but also a manager who's going to stabilise things and build in the in the medium term. And um, I think that is is a difference. He's come in early. He's he's got that important early result that's going to um, give him a bit of breathing space and give him a bit of momentum. And I would expect them to. Um, but I, I would think they have a considerably better chance of survival than they did a a week ago or two weeks ago. Well, I'm sure he'll be hoping he won't be building in the championship. Harry Kane runs roughshod over Bournemouth, scoring a hat-trick for Spurs in their 5-1 away win. Pochettino says it's the best moment of his career, and here he goes all philosophical because young Harry Kane has experienced both the good and the bad. Ben, what does he mean? I think it means that he's relieved for himself as a manager because Harry Kane's scored some goals, and it's probably important to point out that Harry Kane didn't score a hat-trick because he was Harry Kane, he scored a hat-trick because he was playing up front against Bournemouth which on that day I'm not saying it was easy to score a hat-trick but it wasn't particularly difficult either um, I think he's hoping that it kickstarts a virtuous cycle not just for Kane but for the players behind him as well Christian Benteke comes off the bench and gives Jurgen Klopp the illusion of his first Liverpool win only for Southampton to equalise late Cass, you know a thing or two about being a big striker known for his aerial prowess how good a header was it? Can you break it down technically and explain what he did? Well, obviously, the delivery of the ball is the most important thing. Okay, but that wasn't Benteke. That was whoever delivered it. Yeah. So well, we want to praise Benteke here. We want to give some love to the big target man striker, not not the little, um, the little wuss who delivers the ball. Well, the art of heading is attacking a ball from the direction it's coming from and being able to guide it to where you want it to go with power which he did, and I think that you know it gives gives the keeper no chance because he's he's just literally got a great leap. He's watched the ball, he's timed it, he's met it perfectly, and as he as you saw, it can end up in the back of the net. I just thought it's it's so so rare that we see these goals, these type of goals in football, because very few managers want to do what Andy Carroll can do, what Ben Tike can do at the end of games and win your football matches. We saw two in one weekend, and in fact, at some point, we're going to uh, discuss those quotes that Arsene Wenger gave in the summer, uh, when he said uh, there's no strikers like that anymore, because and he there sort are. of blames... I know, but the uh, yeah, I disagree with Wenger as well. But it is an interesting theory, uh, as, it, as it often is when he talks about uh, football. Jamie Vardy does it again as Leicester win and find themselves just one point out of fourth place. Ollie, this one is really easy for you. Who's finishing higher this season? Leicester City or West Ham? And percentage chance for either to finish in the top four? 
Mm, I'd say West Ham more likely, and uh, and in terms of percentages, I hate these questions because you really have to think about them. But um, but if I um, if I have to look at the bookies odds, the bookies still have Leicester forty to one. Well, some back bookies have Leicester forty to one to finish in top top four. West Ham sixteen to one. Chelsea evens. People are convinced that, uh, or the bookies are convinced that you know. Leicester and West Ham will, will run out of steam very quickly, and that uh, and that Chelsea will recover. And I, I'm, not, I'm not sure I would um, uh, be rushing to put um, any money on Leicester to finish in the top four, but um, to have them at uh, forty to one and West Ham at sixty to one seems uh, seems very generous. Crazy Claudio's only just getting warmed up. Arsenal's 2-1 win over Everton makes it four in a row in the Premier League, and they join City at the top of the table. Ben, it's all coming together for Wenger, isn't it? This is the year that they finally do it, right? Could well be, but a lot of Arsenal fans I know are saying exactly the same thing. But I think underneath the excitement, there's an anxiety because I know that this season is the kind of it's the season they have to do it if they are going to do it because Chelsea aren't going to be this bad next season. Man United and Man City are really going to spend more money. I think that, however, kind of um, pleased they are at how things are panning out now. I think deep down they know, and as the season progresses, it's going to become more and more and more apparent that if they're going to do anything in terms of winning the Premier League, it's, it's going to have to be this season. And I think that may work against them in the long run. If I were cynical, I might come out and say, um, well, gee, if they don't do it, then actually nothing happens. They still have another summer where they go and spend or not spend money, and Wenger's still there a year from now, and Kroenke's still not talking, and the cash reserves keep rising. Sorry, Gab, this is one for you. I do shudder to ask, but uh, Sheikh Salaman, Ramon Vega, Tokyo Sexwell, David Nakid, Prince Ali, Jerome Champagne, and... If his suspension gets lifted, uh, Michel Platini, nominations for the FIFA presidency have closed. But will it really be one of these guys to lead football as of next February 26th? Yeah, see, I'm not sure about this because you can poke huge holes in many of these guys. And no, they're not all crooks. Some of them are good people. Others, uh, there are serious, serious questions about. Um, Sheikh Salman in particular is kind of curious that uh, he's coming under a lot of pressure Um because of Bahrain's human rights uh, record. But if I had to pick out of these, if the suspension gets lifted, I still think it's going to be Michel Platini. If the suspension is not lifted out of this bunch, I kind of think um, Tokyo Sesuale is in a really, really good position. Sorry, no, I, it's I, not Sex Whale. I'll no. Call sex Whale. No, no. Okay, I, not... Sex Whale is a lot cooler. Yeah. Um, and he's a black belt in karate, by the way. And he's also a millionaire. And he's also uh, a major uh, human rights leader. He's so my vote, definitely. He's a very, very impressive character. Right, that's all we've got time for right now. Many, many thanks to my guest today, Ollie Kay, from uh, uh, his... Um, you're, you're in Rippenden, yes? Yes, it's been so long you've forgotten where I live. Nah, but, but are you, um, are you in, in your conservatory or are you in the house? No, I'm, I'm in the dining room today. You're in the dining room. Mm. In, have you ever been to Rippenden? No, but I've heard it's very nice. It's it's, it's lovely. I, I believe Ben, our former colleague Ben Smith... You can only Smith, have been from me. Sorry? You can only have heard that from me. I believe our former colleague Ben Smith lives there too, and sometimes mm. he tweets pictures of the lovely uh, bucolic countryside. Where is it? Where is Rippenden? Yeah. It's, it's near Halifax, isn't it? It's near Yorkshire, that's, isn't it? That's very precise. It's, it's, yeah, it's between Manchester and Leeds. Between Manchester. Between Manchester? What, what kind of Yorkshireman are you that you don't know where Rippenden is? It's in between Manchester and Leeds. Someone who doesn't go to Manchester. We were joined by Ben Machel, and it was an absolute treat. And no, we don't just invite him on because he's the uh, uh, cheaper, uh, low-rent, off-brand version of Rory K. Smith. In fact, 
He's more enjoyable than Rory, isn't he? Um, nah, seems, no, he's not. No, seems no. Out, he, nah. he does look like Fergal Shark. But we like Rory more. He's more likely to pronounce Sexuale as Sexuale, and, and I think I don't think gets points for that. This is true, but then Rory loses points because despite being a fluent Spanish speaker, he still calls uh, the Everton manager occasionally Roberto Martinez. And, of course, we have Tony Cascarino gave us a little mini clinic on heading the ball. Please press that subscribe button. We're going to be back next week. And remember, you can get exclusive football, rugby, and cricket highlights free as part of your subscription. It's just £12 for a 12-week trial. Just search The Times online. Till next time, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's stamps.com, code PROGRAM.